Welcome to the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. We are for the misfits, those who don't fit in at school, those who don't fit in at church, those who feel they don't fit in anywhere. We are misfits, we are called to be misfits, and we are called to be for the misfits. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Misfits, the podcast. Uh, I've been thinking a lot still about the chat I had with James a couple of weeks ago. Um, And uh, no, that's not why I haven't been on board for two weeks. It's because uh, I moved house. So I needed some time off, um, as you do. Um, But I've been thinking a lot about it because on on Sunday, I um, had the opportunity of sharing at my church um, the the main message of the morning. And... uh, one of the things that has been really um, kind of reverberating in my, my head is something that my students said, um, uh, one of my students at table, that is. Um, we were talking about how Christians are, it tend to be known for being judgmental. We're known for um, being the kind of people who, um, who criticize, who judge, who are really interested in making sure everyone's doing the right thing, but maybe we're not really doing the right thing ourselves in the way that we treat people. Um, so what my student was saying was, was kind of quoting that, that passage from um, Matthew 7, um, I think it's Matthew 7, forgive me if I'm wrong, about um, how Jesus said, uh, if you see a speck in your brother's eye or your, your sister's eye, first get the log out of your own eye. Now, the key to what he's being said here, I think, is not just about the order of, of whose sin you deal with. It's not just about, um, you know, you have to deal with your own stuff first. I mean, that's a big part of it. But the thing that my students said, which I really appreciated, and have, it's just been something I've been thinking about nonstop since, is this idea that... Uh, In order to remove a speck from my brother's eye, I need to be so close to them so um, that I can actually see the details of their eye. Now, I don't know if you've ever actually been that close to someone before, but it's actually really close and it's uncomfortable and it feels weird. Um, And there was some, this, it felt like there was something, some, some deeper truth that was there. Um, uh, about when we try to um, correct, as we might try to put it, or guide, or whatever we might call it, um, about uh, making sure that our goal isn't first to change people, but our goal is first to love people. Um, because in order to be that close to someone, there needs to be intimacy. There needs to be um we need to actually be able to build a relationship with them to the point that they trust us to be close enough to them. And then our motives for pointing out things is actually motivated out of love and not out of, I need you to change so that I feel comfortable. Um, it, it forces us to really check our motives because we're so uh, involved in that relationship that uh, we want that relationship to continue. And I thought of that because as, as you would know, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, I've been doing some research, uh, for my PhD, um, about youth ministries, um, about, uh, 
youth ministries, the church, youth work. Um, and I came across this one book that I particularly really enjoyed. It's called Revisiting Relational Youth Ministry by Andrew Root. Um, he's a guy in America um, who loves youth ministry, loves Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and wrote this book um, about 14 years ago. So it's a little bit on the older side now. Um, but I, I think that the truths in it are really challenging um, for us as people, but also um, in particular our ministries. So Root, um, Andrew Root starts off by talking about how um, ministries typically consist of, um, you know, uh, what people like to call relational ministry, but um, Andrew Root has actually changed this to uh, personal influence relationalism, because what that relationship ends up looking like is not just hey, I want to I wanna be in relationship with you. I want to know you. It's actually, I want to be close enough to you so that I can change you. I want to just build a relationship with, it, with an end in mind that's kind of a hidden agenda. Um, and um, it's believed that if I build enough of a, a strong enough of a personal connection with someone, then, then I, can, I can influence them. Um, and... Uh, Andy, Andrew Root found that uh, this kind of relational approach in his research with some youth groups and some young people was really common. Um, and sure, that's the way I've tended to see relational ministry. So it was a challenge to me to see maybe that's not real relational ministry. And why it's dangerous um, is, and I quote this from page 79 of Andrew Root's book, when I tried to influence them, I had neither the patience nor the vision to truly share in their suffering, to make it my own, and to join in my own broken humanity with theirs. I was so busy making assertions about heaven that I refused to see and accompany them in the darkness of their personal hells. So Andrew said that he realized this after a big um, argument, I think he says, with his wife, where she was trying to share something with him and he kept trying to fix the problem. You know, that's the old, the age old thing of the problem between men and women in marriage is that men always want to fix things. Um, and he realized when she said, stop trying to fix me, just be with me in this problem, just accompany me. He realized that that's the way that he was approaching ministry. And so this is the danger of what we think is relational ministry, where we approach it in a way that says, I want to build a relationship in order to influence you. It, it, it shows that we actually don't want to get close enough to really know them, to, to share their suffering. Um, we don't really see them in that way. We only, um, we keep them at a distance. We don't see them for who they really are for, as a person who's suffering. So Andrew Root kind of describes this new idea of relational ministry that's not about just trying to get someone to accept a message or an idea, but actually place sharing with them. And place sharing, it's kind of it's a it's kind of a weird way of saying it, but I, I like it at the same time because it it shows that you're kind of you're standing in their shoes. Not not this old thing of take a walk in my shoes, this thing of walk with them in their in their place, in their suffering. 
Um, and it is this idea is, is actually, it's come from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So Andrew references Dietrich Bonhoeffer a lot. Uh, one thing that um, he says is Bonhoeffer holds that the concrete place of God's revelation, the place where God reveals himself and is present with us, is within personal encounter, shared relational bonds of I and other. So to be in relationship with another is to encounter Jesus Christ who is beside and for us. So what he's saying is that we don't actually have to try and influence the person um, through relationship because it's actually in that authentic relationship that we encounter Jesus, that they encounter Jesus through an authentic relationship, not through, I just want a relationship with you so I can tell you about Jesus. I just want a relationship with you so I can correct your theology or correct your behavior. No, it's actually in genuine relationship that we can experience more of, of God, more of Jesus. Um, and, you know, Andrew goes on to say, it is not enough to simply meet the other in a kind of benign relationship, being nice, sharing a laugh, being happy that the other person is around but ignoring the other person's poverty, their emotional, financial, spiritual, cultural, or physical poverty or pain. It's kind of like um, there's a verse in James that says, um, talking about how faith without deeds is dead and how um, he, James says, you know, what good is it to say to someone um, who is suffering, oh, be blessed, be fed, you know, I, I, I bless you with all the good things, but doesn't actually do anything about that person's suffering. Well, James is saying, well, that's pointless. It's dead. It's, it's artificial. It's empty. So this is that same idea of instead of just being like, okay, I'll just be nice to them and I'll just be friendly so that I can tell them everything they're doing wrong so I can fix them. Instead of doing that, it's actually to enter into that person's life with them uh, to, to really acknowledge and try and understand what it's like to experience their poverty, their pain, uh, and to the point that their suffering becomes our suffering. Um, and it's, it's not comfortable. It's far from comfortable because we can't just experience a person's pain and then do nothing about it. We can't um, just see someone who's in pain and then kind of just go home and be like, cool, so that's done. I'm, I'm good now that that relationship box is ticked. It requires so much more of us and that's why it's uncomfortable and painful and why we probably don't really want to do it. Um, and it, it means that we have to involve ourselves in their pain and not just give pat answers, spiritual pat answers. Um, so yeah, I really, really liked this book. As you can tell, I'm pretty passionate about this, this, this book. Um, but yeah, what does that mean for ministry? What does that mean for youth ministry? Because we can't all, you know, share a place with every single young person. And there's also, even as I say this, I'm thinking of, you know, how do we protect young people in this, um, because um, while it's really important that we we get rid of the um, the pretenses of fake relationship in order to influence someone, um, 
and why and that's important because it it tends to create a us and them or who's in and who's out kind of culture i'm also concerned <laughs> because we we know that the church yes there's some there's some pretty dark things that have happened in the history of the church some pretty painful and uncomfortable things like the abuse of children uh so so we can't go about this pretending that oh we're all a family so it's all good so uh, we don't need to worry about the safety of young people because we're a family and we love each other. Um, so there's this concern that comes to mind, even as I think of this, is how do we maintain those ethical, professional boundaries to protect young people while at the same time really getting into their space and their place? So it's kind of the kind of thing that I'm hoping that by the end of you know, this conversation, um, we might have some answers and maybe it's something that is going to have to be an ongoing conversation of how to really involve yourself in a young person's life while protecting them from potential predators. But going back to what I was saying about what does this look like in youth ministry? Well, I think what it looks like is that we actually can't think that um, just a program is enough we, we need to stop thinking program um, from a program mind of, well, if we do some really fun games, have some cool music, have some great food, then everything else will just happen. Um, what this is calling us to is actually to almost abandon seeking amazing programs and just pursue a person, pursue what it, what's on what's on their their heart what their lives are like what their experiences um experiencing to well just working to know them it might mean that we actually need to abandon um the kind of style of, of small groups and devotions that is a one-way conversation where the goal is just to try and convince them of the message um what i think it needs to look like is um, we need to have like almost like a, a number of, of people that we trust who are the leaders in a way who work together, who each have a group of young people that they are actively seeking to build a relationship with them for no, no particular end or agenda other than the relationship itself. Because as we said, it's in that relationship that we can discover more of Jesus and more of, of God. And, and Bonhoeffer even goes on to describe that each person has an element of transcendence. They're the transcendent other, knowing that somebody else is so completely different from me and has the image of God on them. And that in itself is holy. And therefore, for me to know them deeply is to see more of God. So seeking to see God in the person, seeking to to know what their story is. Um, so it's going to take time. It's going to take um, more than just, um, you know, hey, how are you going? How's your week been? It's going to take, take more intentional conversations of trying to target certain people. Like each leader then has a group of young people they target to build a relationship with them. But as I said, as I alluded to, this is kind of like 
oh, how do we how do we protect young people in this? Because it kind of it can leave young people open. If we're gonna create a ministry where our goal is to build a relationship and a relationship that's so close that we actually share in their suffering, there's the potential that some people could use that for, you know, their own agenda. Their their own agenda of I'm actually building this relationship so I can, you know, uh, abuse this young person. It's a horrible thing to talk about and it's a horrible reality to acknowledge, but grooming does happen in churches. Um, so how do we protect young people about that? Um, I think that uh, youth work has some really good, um, uh, they have a good code of ethics that helps us guide us through this. It's called the Youth Work WA Code of Ethics, which is developed by Youth Work WA and by the Youth Affairs Council of WA. Um, it has a number of different points, um, but one of the mo- most important ones um, is about boundaries with young people. And and that that's a boundary that's about protecting the young person and the youth worker as well. Um, I know that like in my time in youth ministry, we, we talked about boundaries, but it was always about, oh, well, don't have, um, if you're a male leader, don't have a female young person in your car. Uh, well, grooming goes both ways. It isn't just, um, you know, um, a male leader can groom a, a female young person. Oops, sorry about that. Um, it's also that a a male leader can groom a male young person and female leader can groom a female young person. These things happen. So we actually need to make sure that we're really protecting young people. So a bad example of this is I... I read uh, one other book. I won't say who it was, who the author was, or what the book was called because I don't want to shame them. But they were saying things like, um, it was an old book, but they were saying things like, um, in order to build a relationship with these young people, remember the little things. And one of those little things was having sleepovers with with young people, like getting all the young people over to the, the youth leader's house, as long as they're the same gender, it's okay. Uh, probably not actually. Yeah, no, that's probably not okay. That's probably really dangerous. And that youth leader themselves might not be dangerous. They might be a, a really good hearted, kind hearted, safe person. But what it does is it sets up that young person to think that that is okay. And that is normal. And then what if another youth leader says, um, yeah, I want to have all, all these these guys over to my house and then they're actually going to, you know, um, do something. Uh, so it's actually incredibly important that we teach our young people um, to protect themselves through setting an example of what's, what's a normal thing and what's not and what is um, going to protect them by our own actions. So we intentionally limit our relationship with them in order to protect them from predators. So, um, you know, I think back to when I mentored a bunch of young guys through youth group and I would have one guy in my car and I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think it was a problem, but looking back, I now kind of wish that I didn't do that. 
I know that the parents really appreciated it and they, they appreciated me giving their, their kids a lift and stuff like that because it saved them a lot of hassle. But maybe it's as simple as I'll just have another leader with me in the car so that we have each other's accountability. Maybe it's as simple as um, I don't give young people lifts um, in order to protect them. Um, when I catch up with them, when I spend time with them, when I show a deep interest in them, I do it in a public place. I do it in a in a way that other people know what I'm, what's happening at the same time. I'm holding myself accountable to another leader or um, I do it at the neutral location, maybe at the church, but not in the young person's house, not in my house. Um, it might be um, even just that when we have conversations with young people, when we're building that relationship with them, we actually have to have a conversation with them about um, <laughs> boundaries and saying, making sure they don't get the wrong idea about the relationship. We protect them by making them, making sure they know that there's a boundary in this relationship. I like saying things like, I care about you and I want to share in your suffering. I want to, I want to journey with you in the things that you're going through. But because I'm older than you, I need to protect you by keeping a distance in our relationship. And that seems so contradictory, doesn't it? But we've got to think, think of it in the sense of, I am going to do all I can to know this young person, but at the same time, I'm going to protect them by putting in a boundary, by letting them know that there are boundaries. And youth workers, you know, I, I love youth workers and I love what they do. They are amazing at this. They are amazing at letting young people know that they really care about them, that they don't care about the sexuality of that young person or the, the, the socioeconomic status or the race of that person or the culture of that person or gender or, um, or anything they've been through or whatever, they value them all equally. Um, and, uh, when we emphasize in a relationship with person, with a person, just that we want to know them, not that we expect them to live up to a standard, we can actually make them feel that, that sense of safety, that we're here to accompany them through what they're going through. So a lot of it is in the little things that we do when we're talking with them, um, the ways that we respond. And some young people might try to test that by saying things like, like I had a, 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 a case study, for example, that I did with some of my youth work students where the young person would intentionally say controversial things in order to see what the youth worker would do. Things like, yeah, I had sex five times on the weekend. Or things like, um, I hate gay people. and um, um, Whatever it might be. How we respond in those situations determines how they feel about us. Um, whether they feel that we're a safe person for them, that that we're safe with all their, the, the stuff that we could judge them for, or whether we're a person that they can go to in the good times and the bad and when they're doing the good things and when they're not doing the good things. So a lot of it is in the way that we respond and talk about them. Um, so, yeah, I kind of feel like I've, I've rambled a little bit, but I hope that... 
uh, something of what I've said has been valuable for you. Um, I look forward to hearing your thoughts about how we can build a really authentic relationship that's not hinged on influencing them, but also protect young people with ethical boundaries. Until next time, stay misfit. Thanks for listening to the Youth Ministry Misfits podcast. If you want to continue the conversation, join our Facebook group. It's called Youth Ministry Misfits. Here we will post more information, more research, and we will also post about future in-person gatherings. If you'd like to know more about training for your youth ministry, send me an email at tmullen at tabor.edu.au. That's T-M-U-L-L-E-N. If you're interested to know even more, why don't you consider studying with us at Tabor? We offer youth work, counselling, creative writing, ministry, and more. Check us out at tabor.edu.au. Until next time, stay misfit.